I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Softweb Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a wonderful episode of Soft Rep Radio. I am your host, and I have a special guest today. I have the author of The Bullet Garden, Stephen Hunter, Pulitzer Prize winner in 2003, film critic for The Washington Post, has submitted several archives on criticisms of film and television, and I have him here right now. And I also want to say... You're the father of the movie Shooter, the Bob Lee Swagger story. That's correct. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'm so pleased, Rad, at your interest in, in the book and my work. Yeah, I am interested in it. First of all, I'm a huge fan of the show, Shooter, the movie. You, with, you don't uh, like the TV show? No, I'm actually talking about the movie, the movie. Okay. and the show. Both of them actually have a really cool appeal to them. The movie, though, that I think a lot of my listeners have probably seen already with Mark Wahlberg and Danny Glover. What was that like to see your thoughts put onto paper come to a movie? That's my question. Yes. Well, the answer is that it was like seeing your dream in someone else's head in the sense that everything was familiar, but wrong. In other words, I had a certain ideal projection of the action And in my brain, the camera was to the left, and in Antoine Fuqua's brain, it was to the right. And so what I saw was incredibly familiar and felt real and vivid to me, but it was somehow, it was like through a lens of irreality, if I can say. It was just slightly strange it was like being in a netflix science fiction series if you want to know the truth it was just a little dislocating i think is the word i mean it's just it just wasn't what it wasn't what i imagined and i thought the movie worked pretty well up to a point they had problems with the ending they didn't like my ending that was the original ending they jiggered it up a little and it just didn't they put this other ending on where Bob kicks down the door and executes a bunch of old men. And I didn't think that mm-hmm. worked too well. And I tried to get a change. But at that point in the production, I had the influence of a gnat would have on the USS Enterprise. And sure. so it went out the way it went out. And I can live with it, I suppose. People respond to it. It's acquired a kind of a cult status, and that makes me very happy. 
Right, like the scene where Bob Swagger's been captured and he's handcuffed and he's in the uh, office room with the big office table and Danny Glover and everybody's all standing or sitting around and he's like, that's my rifle, right? That one right there, right? Yeah, you haven't touched it since you took it, right? And he puts a bullet in it and he points it at Danny yeah. Glover. This, I can shoot Danny Glover, right? Click. Actually, I do love that. See, I have that scene in my head, yeah, okay? Yeah, I'm just letting you know. That. Right, that's, that's my right. right. <laughs> that was that was really fun to write, yeah. And he's like, hey, wait, no, I'm going to put it down. We're all good. No, 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 no. It yeah. didn't click. It didn't boom. See, Danny Glover lived. <laughs> Couldn't have been me, bro. Exactly. Couldn't have been me. I seriously love that. I mean, really. <laughs> it's funny. Well, the way you do a book like that is you keep going at it because it's a very hard book to write is you reward yourself by getting to the big scenes. And the big scenes are always the candy part, uh, the dessert of writing the book. It was such a relief and it was so pleasing to get to that point and to write that scene. And actually, it was a very tough book to write because it's got a lot of cuckoo birds that have got to pop out of the clock at exactly the right moment. And if they're a second early or second late, it doesn't work. And they kept popping out at the wrong time. And no, no, what the hell is wrong with me? But finally, four years later, I got most of the cuckoos in most of the right holes. And it was, it sort of put me on the map. So I love the book. It sure. Gave me the rest of my life because I found Bob Lee so interesting that I had to know more about him. And the only way to learn more about him was to write more books. And so here I that's right. all these years later. Yeah. That's right. And that's a great segue into, you got Bob Lee swagger of modern 2000s, but then you jump back and go, precursor to world war ii with his father earl Earl. that's right and what a great book okay i've been reading it and i've been getting into it and you really write for me to understand i don't know if that makes thank you red there's some people that sort of dry up and blow away when i go into the gun stuff but that's what sort of made me want to do this for a living and people say why don't you leave that out and there'd be no point in writing the daily books no. if you left that out. It's just the way that he kneels next to the boys on the firing line, you know, the way that he's kneeling next to them and like the way that they're talking about their grands and the way that you can see it in his eyes. He doesn't have to wear ribbons to show you that yes. he's been there. You know, you. what a yes, you're welcome. Right. And the first chapter, if I remember, is you start off with God was late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good one. Right. That's the first thing. I was like, okay, God, what do we do in religion? And as you start reading, you're like, oh, I had a God like that as well. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores, stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty on demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. So as I read this book and I get into it and I see that it's about really. They're anticipating the invasion in Normandy and along the coast between the Isle of Wight and the Channel, English Channel. There was something going on over there during the World War II, and Germany was prepping itself to anticipate which beach or where it's going to happen. So they fortified all of the beach up and down Utah and Omaha and all of those different beachheads. And then not only fortified structures and not only put in like panzers and all these different menacing war machines, they put in snipers. 
Yes, they did. They knew what they were doing. They were very good at their craft. There's no doubt about that. And moreover, they were aided by one of the great intelligence failures of the war, which was our planner's inability to understand the terrain of not the beaches, but the bocage, that is, what was behind the beaches. And it was a landscape full of ravines, small hills, trees, very tough to negotiated hedgerows. You know, you needed a tank to get through them. You really did. It was like walls. And we walked into that thinking we'd just stroll through it. And it turned out to be a brutal battle. And it killed a lot of people on both sides. And it put us way behind schedule. It basically humiliated us in front of the eyes of the British and the other allies. You know, suddenly we were back on Guadalcanal, except it was 200 times larger. And it was very much a jungle terrain is what it felt like. Eventually, finally, they figured out how to beat it. And I took that as a starting point and I added some typical swagger issues to it. And I brought swagger in Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. the Marine Corps, just in case people think, gee, how did he end up in Normandy? Well, he's recruited by OSS, which did this. And he's commissioned a temporary major in the United States Army attached to OSS. And that gives him mobility and rank, chance to be an officer. I never wrote a book about an officer before because I was not an officer and I did not like officers. But doing it, I found that I got a new respect for the officer class. And a good officer is crucial to military operations. This is of all my books, but... And writing the book was such fun. It was such pleasure. I just enjoyed every second of it. I mean, for many people, writing is a labor. And believe me, it can be a labor. And I've gone through plenty of labor. But sometimes it's a joy. It's just everything just meshed cleverly. The book is cleverer than I am. I don't know how (laughs) who made it clever. Maybe my wife came down at night. You did. Yeah, she did. (laughs) It was the wife. Yes, it's your wife. Yeah. Always, always praise her. (laughs) Yes. Thanks, Jen. I love you too, babe. (laughs) I'm going to give my wife a shout out. We love them. No, for sure. No, I think that reading through the book, somewhere in the middle of the chapters there around sleet, I think is where I'm at. Okay. I think I've gotten into that far. And they're talking about the maps and the different topography and they're trying to figure out. So what happens, not to give away the book, you should read it, but it's troops getting in and how do they get further inland and why are they being pushed back and where's the bottlenecks in war and and they pull out these maps and they're starting to point out these different areas. The one major and everybody's all talking about like daytime, nighttime, you know, should it, and he's like, but our nighttime is different, okay? We're going with an hour before sundown or 15 minutes, I think, prior to 15 minutes after, right when you have peep sites, you know, just enough to still probably see something and they're tripping. They're like, do they have night vision? Yeah. Like, what's going on? You can only imagine the morale that the platoons, like your book writes about, like, it would just go through the whole thing, like, they see in the dark. Well, I had fun working out those. A book like this can't be all action. I mean, I love writing action, right. and I think I'm okay at it. But there's also got to be mystery and intrigue, and you've got different notes to play. I mean, a novel is a symphony. It's not a pop song. It's got to, it's lasts a long time and it's got to have right. periods of rest. It's got to have comic relief. It's got to have things, strangeness to it that 
seems to be related to nothing, but then ultimately comes in. And when it works, it's one of the magical experiences a reader can have. You know, I hope at least for some people, I give them that kind of magic. That was the whole idea. Well, hey, it's been pretty magical. I like it so far so good. And again, I don't want to give away. I just want to talk to you about it. But like with this premise of like, you should go out and get this book, you know, Stephen Hunter's uh, The Bullet Garden, which is coming out real soon. I think if it's not already out by the time this yeah, podcast I think goes up. The, the actual pub date is or was January 24th. Right. So we're right around that time yeah, frame yeah. right now. So this should hopefully go out and maybe at least get you one more person to buy your book <laughs> and listen <laughs> and help. read it and love it. it. You know, of course we'll have it put into the description below, you know, as we get this all put together. But what was it that made you write about swagger? You know, is that just something that you dealt with? Did, do you want to go back? Do you want to talk about this book or do you want to go back way to the beginning where it came from? Yeah. Just swagger in general, your whole concept for the swagger Marine is loosely modeled on Carlos Halfcock. I had read, there's a very good, you know, it's a very well-written biography of Halfcock called Marine Sniper. I'll plug that book. I thought probably it had some exaggerations in it. I was taken with the figure of the sniper whom I saw as a intellectual of war. That is to say he is, Apart from the action, he's also apart from his unit. People don't know quite how to treat him because he is the killer, and that makes him special, and it makes people nervous. I always say he's like a gun in the house. You know, a lot of people, a gun in the house scares them. They know they have to have it. They know they want to have it, but they don't want to know anything about it, and that's stupid and foolish because if they ever need it, they won't know what to do with it and they'll hurt themselves instead of the person they're trying to hurt. And he knew things. He had seen things that made him an extremely close student of war, but the expense of that knowledge was his exile. He made people nervous. People didn't know what happened to him. They didn't want to hear about him. He understood that he paid a heavy penalty for his efforts. I thought that was very, very interesting. So the arc of A, that book, and the arc of all the other books has been Mm -hmm. his return to civilization. You know, we find him initially exiled. We watch as he becomes married. He becomes a father. He comes to terms with his past. He uses his high intelligence to work with several law enforcement issues, and he becomes a valuable, highly valuable asset for various entities, primarily the FBI, back when the FBI was good. And that was fun. And on top of that, I then re-entered him in many issues. I used him as a vessel to reevaluate and re-respect other people who had been at the point of the point of the spear. I mean, it always bothered me that essence of war is so buried under euphemism. And the military uses the euphemism. It begins with them, but it is about killing. The people who kill for us deserve respect, admiration, and most of all, emotional support. This was about him achieving that and in mm-hmm. sort of his real battle against his against his own culture that's the secret battle and i have to say 
And I don't know if I'm responsible for this, but there has been a movement in the past uh, 20 years by which the sniper has become somewhat rehabilitated. And he's not, you know, the lone psycho uh, who enjoys killing people, but he's a technician who takes a terrible responsibility on and does a very, very difficult job, both tactically and emotionally. And he deserves our respect and our admiration. And that, of course, stands for all the operators. It stands for all the alphas who do right. Delta, who do SEALs, who do police SWAT. And, you know, there's this whole movement about in which these men are essentially destroyed or weakened or held in contempt. No, that's so wrong. You should never mock the Legion because when the Huns get to the river, you want the Legion right. there. And if you've mocked the Legion, you've oosgrade yourself, if you know what I mean. And I think Correct. you do. I do. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. There's a company called LaRue Tactical that makes a lot of components for guns and equipment. And they have a saying, a bumper sticker, and it says, God bless our troops, especially our snipers. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, right? And yeah, so like give them a little shout out, a little plug for there. They have like armadillo right. uh, seasoning for their roast that you can get from LaRue yeah. <laughs> yeah. and other things. But it's true. And I have to just listen to what you're saying. This website is founded by the sniper culture. Snipers, uh, Brandon Webb is the former Navy SEAL headmaster sniper instructor. So he's transitioned himself into from being that sniper, right? Being that training, that Navy SEAL to an author as well. And like trying to reacclimate back into society and be a regular dude just moving along. Yeah. And yeah, he did that one time. Well, you know what I'm saying? That's very true. In the same, I have a friend, I know his real name, but the name he goes by these days is Jack Carr. And he has been enormously oh, yeah, successful sure. as a writer. He is a former SEAL sniper. And that fills me with warmth. He's been very good to me. Right. I mean, I knew him before he was anybody. And now he's everybody. But he's been very good to me. And I have always appreciated his friendship and his support. And that makes me happy, yeah. Through the social media, he and I have ping-ponged back and forth here and there. Uh, but he, he says you see his work ethic that gets you through the six months of SEAL training. You still see that in him. The guy works like crazy. Every time I email, I Jack, calm down, have a drink, take a day off. Because he just turns out a book a day, or it's not a book a day, but a book a year. The same. No, sir. Yeah. No, he's focused. He's involved in TV. He's sometimes this political commentary. He just really, really works himself to the bone. He's got some good genes in that respect. Yeah, he says about you, he says, a true master at the pinnacle of his craft. No one does it better. Jack Carr, former Navy SEAL sniper and number one New York Times bestselling author of In the Blood. Yeah. So he gives you that shout out on the back of your book that you're so proud of. And that's the first one. And I read that. Like, who did he get a shout out from here, you know? And Jack Carr, 
right? Fellow Utah, he's here in Utah. <laughs> yeah, I've actually hung out with him. He's yeah, exactly. Cool. He's a very decent guy. He's not arrogant or, you know, a lot of them are muscle guys. He's not particularly yeah. muscular. I mean, if you saw him in a shopping mall, you'd never think this guy did six tours in Afghanistan as a sniper. You'd think, oh, this right. guy sells software down at, uh, <laughs> down at yeah. or something like well, that, yeah. Well, that's the chameleonness of a sniper, right? It's like me, I'm six foot five, 280 pounds. I'm the size of a linebacker. It's just going to be hard for me to blend in like that. But, you know, guys that pay attention to the surroundings and what they're involved in, they can tend to just get right in and get right out and take care of business. Yeah, that's right. That is right. It is. And I would say that when you're writing, what is it that just like, okay, I have to write this book. You know, this book is, oh, my publisher needs a book. Or is this more like, hey, it's you write the book and your publisher is just happy when you write it and give it to them. You know what I'm saying? Like, how's that process? Well, it's not necessarily easy, even to someone who's had a little bit of success for me. I was under a two book contract at one, at a certain publisher. I'm not going to name names and I don't want to get too detailed here, but they had a certain idea for a direction I should take, and that was the kind of books that they wanted to publish. And that direction, my last two books, Game of Snipers and Targeted, was sort of the direction they wanted me to go. That is hard-edged, contemporary, fast-paced snipers, sniper hunt books, that sort of things. And, you know, I can do that. I am happy to do that. But I don't want to only do that. And I'd had this idea for a World War II novel. I love the great World War II novels. They were just, they illuminated my boyhood. And I wanted to pay tribute to them. I had in mind a book that would be longer, more complex, would have more characters and more issues. It would also be, if you'll excuse the expression, a wallow in World War II culture. You know, and I try really to recreate those years, what it looked like and hopefully what it felt like. And that this particular publisher wasn't too interested in that. So for complicated mm-hmm. reasons, my agent got me out of that deal. It only cost me seventeen thousand dollars. But of course she made contact with Emily Best there at uh Simon Schuster. Emily is a great publisher. Right. She publishes Jack and she publishes Brad Fuller and many of the others. She was really into thrillers and she thought highly of me and she was very supportive of me. In fact, I was halfway done fan. with Targeted and she bought Targeted. And so that was an Emily Bessier book. But this was the book that I really wanted to write for a variety of reasons. And and they were very supportive, and it's a very handsome book. You know, it doesn't look like a, what can I say? They look cheesy. <laughs> this one, I don't think. No, it's true. It looks classy. When I got this, when I got the book, and I picked it up, I was like, oh, okay, it's a big book. And then I opened it up, and I started reading on it, and I was like, i got to have to give this a look. The fact that it's hard, and it's a book like this, makes me yes. want to read it. It's not the tablet, you know, I'm not having to like, you know, charge it. It's like, no, there's something about reading a book, right? Without having to swipe because we're taught to read like that, you know, like turn the page, turn the page. So, so really I'm excited. A literally like for literacy. I am of a generation, the last, I guess, 
you're you're sort of an outlier for your age, but I'm of the last great Thank you. book reading uh, uh, generation, and I love the book. You know, I love everything. I love the jacket copy. Uh, not this yeah. book, but any book. Right. My favorite things is coming up with what they call an epigram. And that's just a little quote to start the book. And I spend days and go through 20 different iterations just trying to get the perfect epigram. And that's enormous fun. I can't tell you how much fun it is. You know, I just reach over here and, and I have my buddy's book, Brandon's, from the website. And he's got the same style. It's that oh. nice, really good. Oh, yeah. See, we'll put them together right there. See, Brandon Webb's got Steel Fear right here with Webb and David Mann. We got Stephen Hunter right here. I'm just saying, you know, there's something about these books. Now, I read this cover to cover to, to, to narrate it. Don't the whole of... blurb. I'll be happy to pitch in. Oh, well, hey, I'm sure he'll listen. Okay. He listens to the show, each one. Yeah. So, Brandon, there you go. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I know that he's working on a new one right now. Again, I, I get to have the honor to, like, go sit in a booth and read books yeah. for a microphone, which is a task. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. You got to say everything. You got to act. Yeah. You got to have yeah. something. Yeah. Some je ne sais quoi. It's yeah. got to come out. You, gotta, you can't just say Wehrmacht. It's the Wehrmacht. Yeah. You got to say it. You got to say yeah. it. You know, it's like the Luftwaffe, yeah. you know, Schaffschutze. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I haven't had a book, though. I will tell you where one of my books, the editor said to me, okay, Sure, you could write a book about and this was the book set largely on the Eastern Front. But please don't use the German ranks. Just call them captain or major. Don't say Ubersturmbahnführer SS. You don't say that. Just say Lieutenant Colonel. And so I did that reluctantly. And if sure, just kinda... the collected Stephen Hunter, I'll go back and change all those to the correct German ranks. Oh, in the movie. Yeah. That's when it'll be. Yeah, or if there's a in movie, the movie. When you come out. Yes, yes. Right here, the bullet now, garden. I'm way, just telling you. <laughs> showing the cover, Rad, I have to point out, that's an actual 4th Infantry Division soldier and actually going on patrol in the Bocage in Normandy in 1944. So not only is that cover arresting, it's uh, uniquely accurate. In covers. I mean, we superimpose the scope, and you'll notice the, word, sure. the correct scope reticle. It doesn't have all the, you know, scopes today are like looking into the hood of a map. The mill dot, yeah. right. Yeah, but that's what, it's just a straight yeah, crosshair. That's that's it. That's what it was. So yeah. That makes me happy, too. Yeah, and for our listeners that may not be viewing this, I'm showing his book, The Bullet Garden, and the jacket sleeve has a picture of a scope reticle with the crosshairs, and in it is a 4th Infantry Division soldier with the background of, like, Normandy and World War II there. It's a really solid book, just the cover alone. I mean, I would definitely pick it up wherever fine books, books are sold. Check local yeah. shops, mom and pops that are stocking this on their shelves. You never know, too. When an author will go in and maybe sign a copy at a local mom and pop shop because they're in the area because they flew in or something. And so you always want to support those guys. Make sure you're trying to get that autograph. Well, better be doing that. Them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet you have. I bet you have. And let's put it up again right here. Very the Bullet Garden, right? Stephen Hunter. Very nice person to talk with. And now in regards to your film critics, right? Your film critic. Let's just put that out there. You have a. Pulitzer Prize. I did, yes. 
That was cool. Right. You've seen a few movies. Uh, maybe too many. I'm making up for it. I've not <laughs> seen too many movies now. I very seldom go to the movies. I believed in film criticism. I was passionate about it. Having that job was incredibly important to me. Finally got it. Managed to hang on. I was just a hang on. I actually managed to flourish. I think I did it for 16 and 11. I did it for 28 years. First at the Baltimore Sun, wow. then at the Washington Post. It used to be so see, the, one the, the, of the great jobs in Western civilization. Uh, right. The internet it sort of democratized it. I mean, I sound like a jaded old Chinese aristocrat here, but now if you have a keyboard, you're a film critic. You know, anyone can be a Correct. film critic in those days. I guess they were better. I would always argue that they were better. To be, get that job, you had to really, you know, it involved so many factors of hard work, talent, luck, connections. It was like it's a very, very mm-hmm. difficult career negotiation. And if you stop and think about it, there were really, at any given time until about, the year 2010, there were probably more movie stars than there were professional full-time film critics. That's how tough a job it was to get. And it, I can't knock any, even though the Post has gotten very liberal, they supported me while I was there. They were very generous financially. They appeared to respect my work. I never had any workplace issues. I I never was exiled. And it was a very, and I just, maybe the new casualties of the new newspaper is something called the newsroom. And I have to say, having spent 40 years in newsrooms, newsrooms were great places to spend your time. I mean, the people were your kind of people. The issues were your kind of issues. It was just like being in a sandbox. It was just so much fun. and Just constantly going after the news yeah, with, with everybody on the same just, agenda. Yeah, the together, what's the, the news? The friendliness and the support and even the feuds. You know, there were always feuds. And sure. Always clicks, as there always are. I joke that as my model for the Waffen SS in my first book, I used the staff of the Baltimore Sunday Sun magazine in 1975. <laughs> you know, and that's... Probably pretty close when you get down to it. All offices are the same, and they they run by the same twisted rules. And that's why there's always a lot of office politics in my life, in my books, because I understood that no matter how the public perceives the product, whether it's genocide or newspapers or GM cars, the office politics are prevalent and intrusive and always there. Yeah. And if you're not really giving a good sense of reality, if you don't get that in, you probably have all this politics on your blog site. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. I've been in a newsroom. I worked for a local television station here years ago in my career, and I've seen it. I get it. It's everybody's looking for the story, yeah. and everybody's trying to. It wasn't really like the story wasn't one that they wanted to bring. Yeah. It was what was going on. Yes, it's like, exactly. I'm not making up the. Yeah, exactly. Always, so you're all just there's always a tension between headquarters and the field, right? And they're always because they're not in the field. <laughs> what the end product will be, and the field knows it's not quite right, but the headquarters knows it's as right as it'll ever be. And there's always that uh-huh. tension, whether it's blowing up bridges or 
writing about sewer committees, you know. Right, right. It's just what is going on in your community or on a national level exactly. in that newsroom. And they're just miners. They're just trying to mine the story and get it and exposés. I actually love it. And I think that's really cool. And I'm honored to be able to interview you. you know, I, I hope I presented <laughs> as a reasonably decent, unaffected human being. I hope I'm not arrogant or self-referential or standing on a pedestal. Because I'm actually sitting well, on We'll let the comments down below explain whatever they want to say about that. I think you're just lovely and fine. And so is your wife. Let's give her another shout well, out on this, okay? She's, she's <laughs> super. Yeah, I was very lucky in the wife department. I got in the right line for that one. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. To bring it around to film again, right? So I love film. I am an actor. I do film, and I've been in TV shows and things. You, you do, know, you I know that. Airsoft. Some... I looked you up too. You do airsoft. I do. I I do airsoft. I went through war the airsoft games. phase, oh, you... and what I loved about airsoft was the accuracy of the weapons. Yes. And like, I am never ever going to own a BAR, but if I want to feel the weight and the shape and how it fits in and how it carries and you can do this right for thirty thousand dollars less than you less. would for real BAR. Yes. And yeah. you know, like even now at the age of seventy six, I've got two airsoft guns. Well I've got three or four, but the two I've got two <laughs> got an M one A one and a model nineteen twenty eight. You know, I mean this sounds ridiculous for a man of my mature age, but I love to mess around with them. You know, they're cool as hell. I look at what I do. I get to do that all the time, oh, Steven. It's like I fell in love with it. War Games has brought me here to do this. Yeah. A lot of guys think that today's, you know, 15, 18 year old airsofter might be tomorrow's Bob Lee Swagger well, we hope. or Brandon Webb's. We right. You know, Bob Lee Swagger. If that's what it is, you know, let's if, do it. I'll tell you right now through airsoft, I have seen noble men and women join the military and become successful individuals yeah. who stay in contact with me and still play and don't mock it and still love the game yeah. and still show up. Even though they're in a U.S. loadout for their job, they show up in a Russian loadout for Airsoft. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. the fact that I can bring people together and get the shakes and the nervousness out of everybody yeah, and, yeah. and say, okay, Game on. We're going to go hunt each other. And yeah. you're like, oh, oh, wait. It's like tag, but we're shooting yeah. each other, right? Right. <laughs> you're more than welcome to come play. Oh, and you can bring your Thompsons. <laughs> you, you know, I have I have another Thompson that you might like to know about. It's the Pulse Rifle from Aliens. So Aliens, the movie, yeah, when Ripley and all of them. Yeah, and it has the countdown timer on the side right, of it yeah. for every round. Those, so there's an air. You, you would know, weren't those camouflage ARs. In other words, didn't they build so, a plastic shell around an AR? And It's a Thompson. It, uh, what were they? It's a Thompson. Yeah. Oh, yes, the Thompson. Thompson. It's a Thompson. Oh, yeah. glory to the Thompson then. 
it has the same pistol grip as a Thompson. Oh, so when yeah. you look at the alien, look at the alien pulse okay, rifle, I'll you'll see the that. grip. That's good to know. Okay, you'll have to look that up. I'm not even joking. They're unique guns. It's not the everyday combat airsoft yeah. gun, but for your collection, we do carry them, and they're pretty legit. And the BAR as well is super big. I did a whole review on a BAR on a TikTok yeah. or an Instagram video. Whatever guns come through, you know, I got a Panzer Faust right now. Oh, cool. We got yeah. Panzer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fires a 40 millimeter yeah. grenade ball out of it. Yeah. yeah. Do they do? <laughs> is there an airsoft variation? I used it in a book. I think it was the. Oh, it was the German paratrooper rifle. It was the one with the horizontal. Rifle. It was an FG 42. It was manufactured by Hanel. So we have the MP40s. Yeah. We have the MP40s. We have the MP44s. The Sten. This was, was, they didn't make a whole lot of them, but the German paratroopers, Falsterm Jaggers, I think they were called. Yeah, the Falsterm Jaggers, the helmet, they had no, yeah, yeah, they they had had special helmets. I shouldn't say that, but. Oh, no, no, no. Well, no, they had the helmet. Yeah. Well, they were tactical. The other ugliness, they weren't. No, they were airborne. The Falschmager, they were airborne, yeah, and they, they, they had families as well. Before, so. uh, Look, I uh, may uh, write, this maybe it will excite you, I may feature German e-boats. Oh. And e-boats were really cool, and they were extremely effective. Nobody has any idea, but they sank about 100 times the tonnage of the boats they lost. So they were extremely effective in the war they waged. And I've, I've got a book coming i may write I, I don't know i you never know until you do it but they'll play a part in that oh you're saying i'll get a part in that yeah, i'm just kidding i'm playing i'm playing no you let me know when you're ready i'll show up on set for that one day don't you worry about it. i'll cut it up whatever you want to do i'll be dead yeah. i can just be dead okay just dead with my beard farmer a farmer a dead farmer okay. with, you know right. and they fight fight around the cows yeah, okay <laughs> Have, have you made it to Sundance for any no, of your films? No, I've never. I've been to the con a couple of times, and I've been to the New York Film Festival a couple of times. Film festivals, it's an entirely different culture. It's very frenzied, and it's mainly about scheduling because they're showing four movies a day. You have to know which ones you have to see and which ones you skip. It's extremely tiring, I found. For some reason... I went to Cannes three times, twice for the Sun and once for the Post. And I always got booked in the same motel, hotel. And it was a mile and a half away from the area. The walk was along the beach. And so I came back from Cannes in the best shape of my life because I walked <laughs> a mile and a half there and a mile and a half back. And one of the beaches I walked by was topless. That was much more fun than the actual festival with more to watch, exercise. And, and I mean, really? Yeah, you're only human. Yeah, I'm only human. <laughs> you, you know, we're only human. Yeah. You know, we all have these things. We all know it. We're only human. Yeah. We're so crazy. In a movie, you'd rather see somebody get decapitated than see a boob in their mouth. The one thing is so beautiful and organic. The other one is like, you got to do the, yeah. the war, you know, it's like, oh, well, we're a human society yeah. and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I have had you for 45 minutes of your time and I know it's precious and I know you have other things going on and I really want to wish you much success. And I would like to have you on again as a repeat interview, as a friend, you know, later on, maybe during the year, if you have another book comes out as you're writing, you know, I'd love to have you back on. I'm just putting I'm that out. I'm very there. pleased for your support and I'll be glad to do anything I can. 
for myself and for you. So it's okay. Thank you. We'll do that. Well, I would like to say thank you so much to my guest, Stephen Hunter. I want to put up the book again, which is The Bullet Garden. And it should show in a normal way, even though it looks reversed to me. It flips around when you guys are watching it on the video. Stephen Hunter, The Bullet Garden. Check it out. Simon & Schuster. Thanks to David for hooking this up. I really appreciate it. And I want to say thanks to Brandon and everybody at SoftRep for keeping the lights on and keeping me in your thoughts. And a shout out to Ramstein right here on my shirt. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Stephen. You have a wonderful day. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay. Peace. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.